Welcome to A Midwife Life. I'm Courtney. And I'm Rosalind. We're bringing together a community of midwives to learn, grow, and have fun in the shared experience of living a midwife life. Tuesday, so I am recording this a little bit late. I was hoping to have a podcast out by this morning, but here we are still with soundboard issues, which is really frustrating. Uh, the company is just non-responsive and the replacement they sent is not working. And so that's thrown a little bit of a loop for um, what Courtney and I had planned, um, but we're going to just try to keep plugging away, get the soundboard issue fixed. And I apologize, we did miss a week last week, um, and I thought, wait, why did I not get a podcast out? And I thought, oh, right, I was at um, a labor and a birth for 36 hours last week. I got called and left at 10 p.m. on Monday and didn't get home until uh, almost 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning. So uh, I thought, wow, there's actually a lot we could talk about as far as long labors and what we did to try to get some cervical changes going and get that baby in a good position and um, monitoring the mom. So lots of things for you students out there and well, for everyone to to talk about for long labors, um, one, how to take care of the family, and then also how do you take care of yourself as a midwife. So I think that'll be a future episode for sure, um, but I do apologize. It's why we didn't get a podcast out last week. So for this week, what I'd like to talk about, I kind of want to continue down. I did a little uh, recording on um, MEEC, which is the Midwifery Education Accreditation Council schools that are MEEC accredited. And that is one of the ways that certified professional midwives, CPMs, can become a CPM. The other way is the PEP process, that's PEP, and it stands for Portfolio Evaluation Process. There is a third way, actually. And, um, but that's going away December 31st of 2019. So the end of the year that this is being recorded in, and that is the experienced midwife route. It's, um, unfortunate, I think that it's going away. Um, but it will be gone at the end of the year. And of course there, there is, um, a route for certified nurse midwives and certified midwives to become CPMs. But I think that that's a really, really probably small group of people that are choosing to get the CPM credential on top of a CNM or CM credentialing. So if you don't know, um, I got licensed as a certified professional midwife through the PEP process, the portfolio evaluation process. And interesting enough, when I actually started out on this journey, the long journey of becoming a midwife, I researched a ton and I really didn't even consider the PEP process for me for becoming a midwife. I really thought that my options would be to go to a MEEK accredited school or to go to become a CNM and go to a university that offers that. And um, 
so what happened? How did I end up doing the PEP process when I didn't have that on my radar as well, at all? And I think that there's a good lesson in here um, to learn. One, I had learned that um, or heard through the grapevine that the midwife here locally in the town that I live in wasn't taking students, wasn't interested in taking students, um, or what had such a long wait list of students um, that, you know, it would take years and years and years. I heard both of those things to get through. And uh, I, you know, and so I just didn't even explore it. I just felt like, well, she's not taking students or there's so many people that are ahead of me that it's not even worth exploring. And that's my only option for the pet process. So I'm just going to throw that out. And so the lesson, what I would encourage you to do is to not just take what you hear through the grapevine or hear from a person is to really reach out and make connections in the midwifery community. Because of course, every, every community is different, but I was really surprised that it was actually fairly easy for me to get an apprenticeship at the two locations that I ended up getting apprenticeships. And it just took actually a phone call for one and an email and then going and meeting with them and talking about my goals and like that was it and I got apprenticeships. So for me, um, I thought it would be this huge hard thing and that there weren't any options and that turned out to not be the case. Um, how I ended up there, I was taking prerequisite courses um, to apply to an accelerated CNM program. I have a bachelor's degree in business, and so I needed some prereqs like anatomy and physiology, child development, nutrition, that kind of stuff. And so I was taking those prereqs at the college here, and over the winter break, I thought, well, I should try to see if I can get some experience being a doula for one to go attend a birth. At that point, I had never even attended a birth outside of my own to see if this is actually something, you know, I think it's what I want to do. I feel a calling um, for my situation. I, I do feel like I was called to midwifery. I don't think everybody has to feel called to it, but it was a calling for me. And, um, and I had taken a doula workshop before the summer that I quit my job and um, before I started taking those prereq courses. And so I'd taken a doula workshop, did some prereqs. Now it's winter time, it's winter break. And I thought, well, I'll call the local birth center. Well, actually it was a birth center in a town about 30 minutes away um, from where I live. I'll call them and see maybe they have some clients that would like to have a doula for free and I'll, I won't charge anything. And so I called the midwife there and I left a message and she got back to me and through the conversation we were talking and she asked, well, what are your goals? Are your goals to become a doula? Is that what you're wanting? Or are you wanting to become a midwife? And I explained, no, I want to become a midwife. I'm just trying to get some experience in birth. And she said, oh, well, I actually have two students now that are moving into an advanced student role, the primary under supervision. They were also both going through the PEP process. And she said, and I have an opening for a brand new student. And so if you want, why don't you just come check it out and <laughs> observe some births and, and come to some prenatal visits. And, 
And so I went and boy, that first day of just sitting silently in the corner, trying to be invisible to not like disrupt anything or make anyone uncomfortable. I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything and more that I dreamed of. This is so awesome and so amazing. And yes, this is what I am meant to be doing. And I can't wait to become a midwife. And so I hung out there over winter break. I had already signed up for winter classes to start after the break. And anyway, I just ended up deciding, well, I am going to go do the PEP process because um, one of the main reasons is that the closest for me to do the accelerated program, I would have to go up to OHSU in Portland which is a good two hour commute each way. And I really did not know how I was going to pull that off with having a child and husband and family. And so I thought, well, this is wonderful. Like I don't even have to leave my community to get trained as a midwife. And I think that is one of the huge values of the PEP process and also of MEEK accredited schools that offer a low residency model or a distance program is that people are able to stay in their communities and work and learn and train in their community. And Frontier University for CNMs also offers that. Um, so, so the rest is history, I guess I should say. And I will say, like I read on some forums and some boards, people say like, oh, the pet process is like the easy way out or, um, it's substandard education or experience. And of course I'm a little bit defensive because I went through that process, but I can tell you it is not easy. (laughs) There's nothing about it that's easy. And I think in a lot of ways, it's harder than going through an accredited program. I think as a student, you're a lot more vulnerable to being maybe abused is probably too strong of a word, although there are people that are abused in their apprenticeships, Um, but you don't have any safeguards. You're really out there on your own. Um, in your in your apprenticeship or preceptorship, and you're really vulnerable and open to being taken advantage of. I guess that's a good way to put it. And I think that it's something that if you're going to go through this process, you need to be really clear up front with your preceptor on what the expectations are as far as Um, time spent in prenatal visits, time spent doing office work or ordering supplies or doing marketing events or uh, labor in exchange for it's a work trade. And of course, it has to be balanced for both people. But I think that it can be really easy to feel like, hey, this is the only person in my community that I can have an apprenticeship with. And so I'm just going to agree to do anything or to really overextend yourself in the beginning because you're so excited about everything and you just want to do everything, Um, which is great. But I think that you, my advice to you is to really protect yourself, to have things in writing, to have really clear communication And to also check in regularly with the person or people 
that are precepting you and to have real honest conversations. It can get really hard when everybody's exhausted and working and overextended and then you're studying on top of it. But communication is really the key because you have to be your advocate in the situation. You don't have a school program that you can go to and say, hey, XYZ is going on and I need help communicating with my preceptor or maybe I need help finding another location because this isn't a good fit or whatever. And also time-wise, if you think like this is maybe a quicker, faster route, um, it's not. I think I heard, um, I think the average is close to five years for people going through and completing the PEP process. And if you look at uh, MEEK accredited school, that's three years if you're going through the program. And, and so this program really requires you to be dedicated, uh, to be your own advocate and to stay on top of your paperwork, (laughs) because there is a ton of paperwork And so that's the part that I'm going to kind of dissect a little bit of um, today, what the different requirements are for the PEP process. Um, And so there's four different phases in the PEP process. And, um, and there's money parts to it also. And so you can wait till the end to submit everything. I don't recommend that. I think that you should do checkpoints and submit when you complete each phase um, because, well, one, it's a little bit of money here and there, and it'll keep you on top of your paperwork instead of pushing things off until the end. And so for the first part, you have to do um, what's called the observation phase, births as an observer. And you have to attend 10 births in any setting, and it can be in any capacity. You can simply just be an observer. You can be a doula. It can be a family member, a friend. It can be the beginning of your apprenticeship. Um, And you just have to have somebody sign that you were at that birth. And so um, if you've attended births in the past, try to contact those people and get them to sign it off. Um, and then keep that paperwork with you so you can get them to just initial it at the time because it can get tricky and hard to go back in time. So then phase two, that's what's called the assistant under supervision. And in that you have to attend 20 births assisting, 25 prenatals, and three of those have to be the initial visit, 20 newborn exams, 10 postpartum visits, um, and those all have to be signed off by your preceptor. And, um, and again, don't let things stack up. Really force yourself to just get things signed off as they're happening. Believe me, you will be so much happier with yourself if you do that. And also, it's a way to protect yourself. So say, you know, I mean, this is really horrible, but say worst case scenario, something horrible, like a medical event or something happens to the midwife that you're working with. If you don't have that signed off, like good luck um, getting that signed off. And let's just think probably what is more likely to happen if something negative were to happen, if there's a breakdown in the relationship for one reason or another, um, if you just get things signed off as they're happening, like 
seriously bring it to your birth when you're going through everything at the end and you're updating the chart and you're just finishing out all the chart notes. It's a good practice just to get things filled out then and get signed off. Then there's no going back and going, well, did you really assist with that? What did you do? You can enter in um, what skills that you did because you want to show that in each of these, you're kind of progressing and using different skills. And it just, again, creates good habits. And so as a midwife at the end of a birth, you want to just have that good habit of sitting down and finishing that paperwork. And so you don't have things hanging over you later or, you know, trying to do it later. And then you're maybe not remembering events as clearly. So just get it done in the time. You'll be so happy with yourself that you did that. Okay. And then, so after phase two, there's phase three and that's called primary under supervision. And in phase three, that's also, so things when you're checking in with your preceptor, when you're doing the assistant phase, that's pretty easy because assisting can mean all sorts of things. Are you taking vitals? Are you listening to heart tones? You know, for the newborn exam, are you doing some measurements or checking some reflexes? But what is, what skills do you need to have and at what level of mastery do you need to have them for your preceptor to say you are now ready and they are going to sign off for you to be um, considered a primary under supervision? So the, the thought of it is, is that you are acting as the midwife and you are managing everything and they're there just observing. And so that you're at that level of really being the primary midwife and you just have, of course, a licensed midwife there observing and making sure that you're not missing anything. And so primary under supervision, um, you have to complete 75 prenatal exams. 20 of those are initial visits, 20 newborn exams, 40 postpartum exams, and 20 births as a primary. And five of those births have to be a full continuity of care. And 10 um, require at least one prenatal to be part of it. And so the continuity of care, that includes five prenatals that span at least two trimesters, the birth, newborn exam, and two postpartum exams. And um, so, and then let's see, what does it say? Students must have attended at least one prenatal. Um, yes, uh, with 10 of the 20 births. So that's for the other requirement of that. And so really try to get those continuity of care early on because it is really, you don't want to be at the end and then you're having a woman transfer or maybe a baby has to transfer immediately and you can't get that newborn exam. Like things happen or you don't get to the labor or you don't get to the birth in time. Like stuff happens or you get sick or family event or on or on or on like things come up. And so just try to get those five continuity of care births out of the way at the very beginning or as close to the very beginning as possible. And you will just be set up for success and not frustrated and heartbroken at the end. Because at the end, I mean, it can just feel like it's never going to happen. You're going to have worked so hard 
and I will speak for myself. I was so exhausted and I got to a point, I guess the probably burnout where I was just disillusioned and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I was at the end and it was those last births and that last paperwork that was the hardest and where I actually wanted to walk away from it. Now I attended almost 200 births um, in my apprenticeship, which that's a whole different conversation. But just know that you're probably going to attend more than the minimums. These are minimums, but just get stuff and get the hard stuff like this continuity of care with primary under supervision. Just try to get it done as soon as possible. So at the end, when it's really, really hard and weighing on you, you can just kind of breeze through it. And, um, so let's see, what are some of the other requirements? Um, so you have to have, these have to be in people's homes or in an out of hospital setting in like a birth center, and they have to have occurred within three years of your application, your phase three submission. So there is a time limit on it. And, um, so, and I'm just trying to look cause, um, you can have a couple intrapartum transports that you can count. I think that it's two, um, but you don't have a lot. Sorry. I'm just trying to, to read through these. Um, oh yeah. And then a minimum of two planned hospital births must be attended in any role. Oh, that's right. And they cannot be intrapartum transports, but they can be an antepartum referral. And this is also another piece. This is something that held me up at the end. Um, early on, I was a doula for a client um, that she was just planning a hospital birth. But after that, I got sucked into um, yeah my apprenticeship and doing this PEP process and I got to the very end and was like, oh my gosh, I need a hospital birth. And it's one of those things that actually held me up. And it was a beautiful birth and it was an antepartum transfer. And um, it was actually, I was able to go to be in with a C-section. Um, so just don't wait until the end to get that. These are like the little things that will trip you up at the end. Um, like this needing to be at the hospital for a couple of births. And then there's the whole skills verification. And I think that that, um, again, is where your regular check-ins with your preceptor go through skills. You um, look through them regularly. I mean, seriously, like once a week, go through and say, oh, have I mastered a uh, venipuncture? Have I mastered blood pressures? Am I getting a cervical check down? You know, all of the different things, because there are a ton of different skills. Oh, did I just go through a training on shoulder dystocia and I can, I can show my preceptor because some, some of the skills you have to be able to show in person that you have a mastery. And then some are so rare that you can talk through it or use a model. And if you show competency, then your preceptor will sign off on it. And there's a skills verification 
um, from two different people. So be thinking about, and they have to be preceptors that are registered through NARM. And so be thinking about if you meet up with a midwife and she's friendly and um, you make a relationship with her like or him, um, don't be afraid to ask for them to sign off on some of the secondary skills and just get that done. Always be thinking about what skills can I get signed off because you don't want to wait again until the end. And I, um, one of my best gifts that I received from a friend that was a student midwife at the first place that I had an apprenticeship with is she created this beautiful binder and in the binder it had the whole sieve which is that candidate information booklet in it with all of the requirements for the PEP process it had all of the skills requirements she had everything printed out a table of contents with dividers into each section of what things were And having that physical hard copy and things that I could leave through and make notes, um, it just made life so much easier. And um, you can also like line out an initial, like that was one of my super frustrating things. And I really dislike paper, but like you, you will make mistakes on the paper form. Um, and just don't like, I didn't want to turn in anything with a mistake, but like, just try not to make mistakes. But when you do line it out, initial it and move on, uh, or type things up and print them out. Um, but don't, don't try to be a perfectionist, um, because that will slow you down too. But get those skills signed off, look ahead, get yourself organized, get a binder, print everything out, make a table of contents, make a plan, set deadlines. To be successful doing the PEP process, you have to be, well, I would think, I don't know, for me to be successful, like I had to be uber organized. I had to be on top of things. You have to be really motivated. You have to be really driven. And really to to make it the best possible experience for everyone you need to be checking in regularly with your preceptor or preceptors and getting things signed off making sure that you're both clear on where you are um, because you can maybe think that you mastered a skill and perhaps your preceptor doesn't like you don't want to wait to the very end and get that to go get that skill signed off and they're like oh no I don't you're not there I'm not signing off on that um you want to And you want to get clear on the things that you need to work on because then it also creates more opportunity. Like say you need to be practicing, um, I don't know, you know, it could be any number of things like doing cervical checks or managing a hard, long labor. Like instead of like your preceptor or somebody else stepping in in those situations, you can go, wait, this is an area that I am working on, like, I would like to try first or to tell you what I'm thinking and then go from there and take the lead. And so, um, though, that's my advice. Those are the requirements for the PEP process. Um, I hope that that's helpful. My big takeaways are don't discount it. If you're thinking that this is a route that could work for you, but you're feeling kind of hopeless that there aren't options in your community, really get yourself engaged in the community, get yourself out there, go to meetings, go to conferences, surround yourself with midwives to get talking, let people know and opportunities will 
um, present themselves. I really believe that. And then print things out, get organized, make goals, check in with your preceptor, check in, check in, check in. At the end of births, at the end of an office day, get those prenatals signed off on, get those postpartum visits signed off on, get those births signed off on, like do it then. And then send in each phase as you go. And if you do that, you're going to be really successful. I think that there's a lot of value in the pep in the pep process. I think that um, I learned a lot, and I've seen a lot and had a lot of experiences. Um, some of them were difficult, um, but they've, of course, shaped me and made me, I believe, a, a better midwife and hopefully an advocate for students coming up. Um, I know the things that I liked and I know the things that I didn't like. And when I take on students, I will implement those and try to make up a, a better space for um, student midwives. All right. Well, I hope that this was helpful. I did think about taking a video and showing you that binder. I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but if you think there would be value in that, let me know. I'd be happy to take a little video and show you how it's kind of organized. Um, it's really sweet, the folder that kept me organized and on track in the pet process. All right. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what we're doing, there are a few ways you can support us. The best ways are telling your friends about Midwife Life and getting involved. You can also leave us a comment, write a review, and share your thoughts and experiences. If you haven't already, be sure to like Midwife Life on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at A Midwife Life. We post midwifery questions of the day, funny memes, and well, all sorts of other things that you don't want to miss out on. We also have a website, midwifelife.com, where we have a blog and we are adding resources and information all the time. All right. Thanks for being with us on this crazy journey of a midwife life.